and reflecting on these events the last couple of days, I, it kind of connected with some things that I had been thinking about in our own lives as people, that there are so many things that we are involved in when it comes to our life's work that feel incomplete. Every one of us has things, if I were to say right now, that you have felt you want to do, have been called to do, but that are yet uh, to be complete. They are unfinished. I'm 40 this year, and this may sound ridiculous to some of you, but I sometimes feel like I'm running out of time. Now, those of you that are 50 and 60 laugh, but I would laugh at someone in their 20s who's looking to accomplish all of their life's goal in those nine years or 10 years. The truth is every one of us in big and small ways has things in our hearts that we hope to do, expect to do, thought we would do by such and such an age or by such and such a life stage, and many of them are, un are incomplete. They're incomplete because there have been setbacks. Things we didn't anticipate that came into our lives. Maybe a sickness, maybe a change of plans, maybe a loss of job, maybe a loss of finances. There are things that are incomplete in our lives because of our own sin and our own imperfections, right? Things we have not been able to accomplish because we just have not been able to get it done ourselves. Limitations in our lives. There are things that are incomplete because of other people's sin or other people's actions that have caused hurt in our lives, or jobs that maybe have been taken away from us, or opportunities we weren't given. Maybe things that happened to us as a child in our family background that we would look back and say, well, that didn't set me up for success. I wasn't able to achieve what I had hoped to achieve. The truth is that for all of us, in various ways, there are feelings of incompleteness. There are things that are yet undone. And maybe if we're still young, we have that naive optimism that we will finish them one day. Or perhaps, there are some of you, the blessed few, that can say, no, I've accomplished everything I thought. And yet, even still I know, many people would say even after having accomplished everything, I was talking to a friend of mine recently who said, I feel like I've done everything I thought I was gonna do, but I'm much younger than when I thought I would have done them. And now what? There is still this feeling of now what? Incompleteness. I don't think it escapes any of us. Certainly in our life's work, what we've been talking about these last nine weeks, there are things we had hoped to do, perhaps in a career direction, or perhaps in a current job, things that we had planned to do. Things off our list we wanted to do, or perhaps in a current assignment, perhaps even at a very micro level, there's a project you're working on, or initiative, or a situation that you're in that is just refusing to complete itself. You cannot seem to get where it needs to go. In times like that, I think, if I'm not oversimplifying, we, we, we live in sort of a vacillate maybe between one of two extremes. I've realized I'm somebody that is constantly, I'm not, I'm, I've never been a long-term planner, I've never had like long-term goals for myself, but I'm someone that's always going, I need to get better, I need to get better, I need to do better. I'm pushing myself. I'm always thinking about how, what, what can happen next or how can I get better at this, how can I complete it better, or even if it was done, how could we have done it better? And sometimes we have this sense of, in various ways, of, of drivenness, of, of, or this that feeling that, oh God, I can't finish, I gotta keep going, I gotta keep going. Or, when, that, when we burn out from that, we go to the other thing, which is just to sort of escape the incompleteness of life. And we escape to leisure or whatever. 
I think we're all like that in many respects. Either we face drivenness and a sense of incompleteness that pushes us to try harder, to do more, to be better, to work better, to live better. And sometimes when we feel like we can't, we just sort of try to escape the reality of what is. And many people's work lives is marked by either that drivenness or that can't wait till Friday, TGIF, or whatever that day off is for you, or vacation, or retirement, or whatever it is. Why? Because all of these things remain incomplete. The dreams unfulfilled, the things unfinished, they'll never end. So a little bit of a break this weekend would be nice. Nothing wrong with that, but these can be extremes, get them throw us from one end to the other. And I'll admit, in my life in various ways, I, I've sort of lived between those extremes. Now I have to tell you, I, I thought that becoming a pastor would, would get me off that sort of cycle. I, I thought I would never have days where I went, well, what's the point of this? You're a pastor, right? You know the point of it. You never have those days. Or I'd never have days where I felt like things were incomplete because God would bless what was going on. And yet I have to tell you in many respects about six years in, I have a sense in my spirit that feels like many things that I'm doing that I'm committing my life to are incomplete. I feel it every time I walk through this city, I have a conversation with somebody, whether it's on my uh, parent, uh, one of my, the kids on my son's baseball team, or whether it's my, uh, the hairdresser that I talk to, where they articulate some sense of God that they know is there, at the same time articulate the inability of themselves to find it, and yet they're unwilling to change or do anything different about it. And I leave that conversation going, why, what, why? We're in a city of 400,000 people, most of whom are in no man's land spiritually. They have some belief in God, yet have felt failed by the church, and so now are in no man's land. They don't want what they had when they grow, grew up, but they're unwilling to do anything uh, different about it. And I have these feelings that I'm sitting there talking to them is, you have no, I, 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 what I feel is they have rejected a Jesus they've never actually met. And I know not everybody's gonna love Jesus. There are people that actually met Jesus that rejected him, but what I tend to believe is that, no, you don't know, the church has gotten in the way of who Christ really is. Religion has become an obstruction, not a pathway for you. You need to know him. And yet they have no interest. And I leave feeling incomplete. Like I can't do anything. This is what I, this is why I got into this. I wanted this theater to be full. Every theater. Because we're in a city of 400,000 people. And thousands of them are suffering and dying without the savior that they were meant to know and love. So I feel incomplete in that sense. I feel incomplete sometimes when I meet with other pastors who are my age or younger, and they're smarter, they're better, they have better ideas, and I love hanging out with them because it challenges me, but then sometimes I feel like, where am I at? It's not where I thought I was gonna be. You ever had that feeling? I'm the only one who compares myself to other people. <laughs> I know it, it's true. And so then sometimes I escape and we were away for a couple of weeks with our family visiting um, my relatives in Singapore, which is an amazing opportunity for us to be there. And I love travel and all that stuff. And I have to tell you, I was sitting, my uncle's a businessman, so we chatted a lot just about his business. And I have to tell you, for the first time I was sitting there thinking like, it's the first time I thought, uh, 
You know, I miss being in business, which I don't, but I thought that. And the weather's really nice, and I thought, oh, like maybe I could, you know, work internationally. And I was thinking, why am I thinking these strange things? I know the elders are going to never let me vacation anywhere nice. It's like, <laughs> it's going to be only Winnipeg for me. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, those of you from Winnipeg. <laughs> but I, I, as I was coming home, I think, why am I feeling this? It's because a sense of what is not yet completed in my heart. And I got to thinking about our life's work, and, and maybe you can connect to me in that sense, that there are dreams and desires and expectations that you thought you had that you wish would have come true, and they haven't quite materialized, or you think that they will, but there is an incompleteness that marks your life. And when we talk about work and what we've talked about over these last many weeks, that work is a calling to cultivate and create, that God has given us a sphere of influence, wherever that may be, in our homes, in our offices, whether we're entrepreneurs, whether we work for somebody else, whatever place we're in, whether we're looking for work. We're meant to create and cultivate. We're meant to serve other people. We're meant to understand that we're not defined by our paycheck or by our title. We're meant to have healthy relationships as people who are either the bosses or we work for the boss. We're meant to work with competence and character like Chris talked to us about last week or Malcolm a couple weeks ago. We're meant to rest and to work. And all of this stuff has to do with work in the here and now, but there is a missing piece that if we do not get, in the middle of these times of frustration and incompleteness will leave us wanting, and it is this. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And you may say, what does that have to do with my life's work? That's a really good question. In fact, that question, what does the fact that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead have to do with X? is a question we should ask about every part of our lives. And in fact, if you're here and you say, I'm not a Christian, but I'm exploring the Christian faith, that is the one thing you have to answer because the entire Christian faith rests on this one historical reality that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Now, I want you to stay with me this morning. How does that truth, which we are actually preparing for in Lent, moving towards Easter, how does the truth that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead change the way you and I work and deal with these feelings of incompleteness and frustration and rescue us from the extremes of being driven in our work or escaping it in times of uh, you know, fantasy about what could be or what else we could have done. The Apostle Paul explains this for us to a church, a new church, a young church that he was writing in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 to 20. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, in fact, if the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who are also lost, who have fallen asleep in Christ, are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be, pity, be pitied more than all men. Paul is making an argument with a group of people in that church, apparently who were questioning whether there was really such a thing as resurrection and whether Christ had been raised from the dead. And he says to them this, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, you are the most pitiful people on earth. Why? 
Christians are the most pitiful people on earth if Christ has not been raised from the dead. Why? Because he says, you're still dead in your sins. You Christians have put your hope in a savior and you have said he is the one who heals us, forgives us, cleanses us, changes us, rescues us. But if he has not been raised from the dead, then he died just like everybody else. Therefore, he has not been able to cancel the effects of sin. He has not been able to forgive you. He has not been able to set you free from your addictions and your pain and your enslavement. He's not able to do that. Why? Because he died just like everybody else. So the ultimate effect of sin, which is death, had its claim on his life just like it's claimed everybody else's life. Therefore, if Christ has not risen from the dead, you worship a mere mortal. You worship a man who promised but couldn't deliver it. And you have given your life to something that in the end is futile. That's why you'd be the most pitiful people on earth except for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're not free from sin if he has not resurrected from the dead. Because the resurrection proved that the ultimate exclamation point of sin, which was death, could not hold him. And if death was canceled and now was not the end but was a pathway to life, now everything that had come from sin was now being undone by Christ. Therefore, you have hope because Christ has been raised. And what does that have to do with our work? Yes, we are free from sin. Yes, we are rescued. Yes, we are given a new hope. Yes, we have an expectation of a life to come. But what does that have to do with our work, the resurrection of Christ? Well, Paul says, <clears throat> Christ has been raised. You will be raised too. And because you will be raised too, it changes everything in your life. This is how he explains it. Now follow me in this. 1 Corinthians 15, he goes on in the passage, 35 to 37 and 42 to 44. <clears throat> and here's the question. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? What, is this, what, is this, what does this actually look like? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish, Paul says. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat, or something else. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. And he's using uh, language that would have been very uh, common to an agrarian society. Most of them were farmers. They planted seed, they sowed it in season. At harvest time, it came up and it produced all kinds of crops, whatever it was that gave food to their lives. So they understood this. And he uses this analogy to say, listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not just something that happened to him, but it will also happen to us one day. And someone says, well, how? What is this actually going to look like? And here's the analogy used. He says, when you plant a seed, you don't plant the plant, you plant the seed. What grows up is the plant. There's a connection, in other words, between what dies now and what's raised to life. But what dies now is dead. It's incomplete. It's unfinished, and he uses three, four words to describe it. He says, what goes into the ground, he says what, is, is perishable, right? It expires. It is sown, he says, in dishonor, 
or it is inglorious, boring, not very magnificent. It is sown in weakness and it is so natural or ordinary. He says, this is your life when it dies. It's perishable, obviously. It's inglorious, it's weak, and it's ordinary. Now, how often does our work feel like that? It's perishing, it's perishable, it expires. The what have you done for me lately rules our lives, right? What does it matter that 10 years ago you had a great review from your boss? That's law, you don't even think about that anymore. It's your last review that matters. What does it matter whether you were really successful five years ago, seven years ago, 10 years ago? What, what matters now? Am I successful now? And if I'm not, that doesn't matter anymore. It is expired, it is perishable. So often our work lives are driven by this feeling of things that are expiring. And no matter how good we are, somebody else or something else comes along and eclipses our greatness, it expires. Likewise, our work often feels inglorious. We want to be so much more than we are. We want to be radiant beautiful, shining stars. We use those, those sometimes those kind of language in our work environment. And maybe we are for a little while, but it fades. How often does our work feel weak? I don't know about you, but I feel weak in my work. I want to be strong. I want to be better. But so often I feel like I'm not what I want to be. Or the effect of, what I, of my work is weak. And it also feels ordinary. I want to be a superhero, but I'm not. I want to be supernatural, but I'm natural. I want to be extraordinary, but I'm ordinary. It marks so much of our lives. And all of this feels, leads to feeling incomplete. Because we actually have desires to be imperishable. <laughs> we have a desire to be remembered forever, that somehow what we do would be enshrined forever. I don't think this is just vain glory. I think this is just a part of what is built in us as human beings. We want to last. We want to live forever. We want our work to last forever. And we often say that I want to make a difference. I want to leave a legacy. I want to, whatever language you use. We want to be imperishable. We want to be glorious. We want to be strong. We want to be extraordinary. And yet Paul says, the body, this life, is thrown to the ground like seed, perishable, inglorious, weak, ordinary. And he said, that's your body, that's your life. No matter what you do in life, the end always comes. Every one of us expires. Whether it's after a long, full life, or maybe in other ways, cut short much earlier than we'd hoped or expected. But it's raised as something totally new. There's a connection, right? A kernel of wheat, a seed planted, yields a multiplied harvest and a plant that looks much bigger than the seed that went. An acorn goes in the ground, an oak tree grows with more seeds, but so much bigger. There's a connection, yes, Something small, weak, 
perishable, ordinary, dies in the ground. Something beautiful grows. He says, you understand this as farmers. This is what it means, the resurrection of the dead. Jesus' body into the ground, beaten, dead, blood out, torn, raised to life. So it is with you. So it is with everything that you touch in your work lives. And he goes on to say in various ways, all of creation in a sense is going to experience this perishable, weak, inglorious, ordinary death to be raised to new life. And so will your work. There is a connection now, though it feels incomplete and one day will die. It will be raised new, glorious, beautiful. J.R. Tolkien, when he was writing Lord of the Rings, he had been developing the elvish language in this world for over 10 years, and then began to write the narratives of the trilogy. And as he began to write, he, and if you know the stories, you read the books, you've seen the movies, many, many characters, many, many plots and, and, and sub-stories. And as he was writing, all of these threads were starting to spread out as all these characters were on their separate journeys going out to explore. But he was beginning to lose heart and think, how am I ever going to bring these back together? I've got all these characters, all these stories, all these subplots in these worlds, and they're spreading out. He was getting writer's block. World War II was coming. He had had a terrible experience through World War I. And so the heaviness of what was happening and the sort of feeling fatigue and thinking, I don't think I can ever bring resolution to this great thing that was in my mind. Something he'd been working on for years. And so he got stuck. So he started writing this story called Leaf by Niggle. Niggle was this character that in a sense, you know, was representative of Tolkien and how he felt. And the word niggle in, in old English means to fritter away at something, the details, but kind of fruitlessly and get sidetracked and get obsessed with certain things and not really be able to finish. So you're niggling away at something. Maybe some of you heard that term or use that word. So the story was about this man named Niggle and he had this beautiful vision of this uh, landscape he wanted to paint. Of a, of a countryside and with a big tree in the foreground with leaves and that you could see through the swaying branches to this beautiful countryside of lakes and hills and everything. And so he put up a canvas in his house from the floor to the ceiling, huge, and got a ladder and he started to paint. Now Niggle was the sort of fellow who was really good at painting leaves, not very good at painting a whole landscape. And so he would go away at this one leaf and, and, and but he was a perfectionist and so he would erase things and start over. At the same time, he had this neighbor, Parrish, who was really annoying and was sick and was always needing Niggle to do something for him. Can you run out and get me this? Can you get the paper from the curb? Can you get me some medicine? Can you take me to the doctor? And so Niggle was always distracted by this neighbor that he was, you know, felt compelled to help. And then he'd come back and he'd work away at his leaf again. Now, in the story, Niggle knew that he was going on a long journey one day. And that, in old English literature, was uh, symbolic of death. He knew death was coming. He knew there would be a driver who would appear at his door one day and that would be the end. And he thought, okay, I have this one masterpiece that I will accomplish, this, this picture that I can see in my mind and I'll get it done. And so he'd niggle away at this leaf and try to do more but never quite, and Parrish was always bugging him. And one day the phone rings and he bursts into tears because he knows his time has come. And the driver comes and takes him away from his house and he's crying and it's, he's moving towards the next life, you know, symbolic of heaven. There's two voices in his head. There's the one voice that says, Nigel, you wasted your time. You know, you should have done more with what you had. You had this big canvas, you had this dream. You didn't accomplish it. But another voice that said, well, how about you helped your neighbor? You know, you did good things. You, you tried to help. You, you just couldn't get it done. 
As he's taking that journey, his house begins to fall into decay and some people come to tear it down. And what they find is the whole canvas has melted away except this one leaf, which is all he got done. It was beautiful, it was just a leaf. They didn't know what it was. They put it in the museum in the city and called it Leaf by Nego. That's what they thought he had had in his mind to draw. And Nego comes into you know, the pearly gates in the heaven and Tolkien writes that he, as he walks in, he gasps. Here's what he says. Before him stood the tree, his tree finished its leaves opening, its branches growing and bending in the wind that Nigel had so often felt or guessed and yet had failed to catch. He gazed at the tree and slowly he lifted his arms and opened them wide. It is a gift, he said. And Keller, Tim Keller in his book on work writes this, the world before death, his old country had forgotten Nigel almost completely. And there his work had ended unfinished and helpful to only a very few. But in his new country, the permanently real world, he finds that his tree, in full detail and finished, was not just a fancy of his that had died with him. No, it was indeed part of the true reality that would live and be enjoyed forever. My guess is that you have dreams in your heart. Sometimes you can barely put into words. Or maybe you, you can articulate them exactly. You know exactly what it is. And I think it's more than just pride or selfish ambition. I think those things get in the way. But deep down in every one of us is a desire to do something magnificent. We each have some kind of a masterpiece in our minds that we envision creating. Maybe we can see it so clearly with all of the detail. Maybe we just don't even know, but even as I read that story, something inside you leaps and says, yes, I feel that way all the time. And yet, it remains unfinished in our lives, incomplete. The solution is not to ignore this and say that it doesn't exist and just try to settle for less and why do we have so much ambition? Neither is it to escape and say, well, this will never be done and to fret and worry. But to remember that there are things that God has put in our hearts that if all we have for, to hope for is accomplishing them in this life, we are to be pitied most. Because everything in this life will eventually fall to the ground and die. Everything will be sown perishable, inglorious, weak, ordinary. But one day, the God-given dreams and desires that you have in your heart will be raised to life, and you will see the connection between earth now and the life to come. You will understand this little thing that you've been niggling away at that you feel is never finished, that your own sin and other people's sin and distractions and setbacks get in the way of is a part of a picture that God is making new right now. The resurrection of Jesus Christ tells us that you and I are actually part of completing the new creation. The creation that God promises to make new began with the resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus was raised from the dead, it was the beginning of God making all things new. And you and I somehow have the opportunity to participate in the world being remade. 
Even though we work in the midst of futility, frustration, our own limitations, the limitations of others, the lack of resources, the setbacks, the twists and turns that have left you feeling incomplete is all part of what will fall to the ground and die as a seed of what is going to be raised to life. And if we get that, friends, we realize we were not bent for success in this life. You have dreams and desires which will never fully be completed in this life. Because this life is not all there is. We are reminded of this during this season of Lent. Right? Jesus' life, age of 33, cut short, falls to the ground, and dies. And the grief that so many of his friends and people around him felt was, it was so much promise for him. He was going to be our savior. He was going to set us free. He was going to lead our nation. He was going to give us political freedom, economic freedom, all of this stuff. The life of Jesus, what? Cut short, fall to the ground, perishable, inglorious, weak, ordinary. And three days later, raised to life. The death and resurrection of Jesus reminds us that our work is not futile, destined to be incomplete. In this life, it will fall to the ground that way. But there is a life to come. Therefore, let me put it this way. It's okay to niggle away because God will finish what you started one day. It's okay to niggle away in the midst of our incompleteness because God will finish what you started this way. And the Apostle Paul ends this great chapter this way. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your labor in the Lord. The work that you and I have been given to do is a work that we have been given by God for God. And what we do, as incomplete as it feels, as unfinished as it may be, setbacks, twists and turns, our own problems sabotaging it, is not the end. So it's okay to niggle away because God will finish what you and I have started one day. So my question for you this morning is, what is your leaf? Maybe there's something in your life that you've been fiddling away at for a long time, and it feels like it's going nowhere. It's, you started out with a passion for something. Maybe there's a person in your life, someone that you've been wanting to see and know Jesus, and, and you've been trying to tell them about Christ, but it just doesn't seem to go anywhere. Or you've been praying for them, but it doesn't seem to go anywhere. Maybe there's a particular project in your work right now that you had a lot of passion for, but you've had setbacks. You've had twists and turns. Your own sin has affected the sin of other people, just brokenness in the world, and you've been niggling away at it, and you're tempted to give up. Maybe a career path, maybe an opportunity, maybe a door that you had been praying to open and finally it opened, but it slammed again. And you've been tempted to give up and think, this is incomplete, this is useless, this is futile, this is going nowhere. I don't know what that is, but I, just, I know there are things like that in my life that I felt pressed this week to embrace the truth, VJ, remember all of the work done in this life will eventually fall to the ground and die. Ultimate success is not the blueprint for your work in this life. So don't give up. One day it will be. So what is your leaf? 
maybe a person, situation, a task, maybe a job, a path, an idea, a hope. Don't stop niggling away at it, whatever that is. The reason we are able to persevere, and the Apostle Paul says, therefore, you know, don't lose heart, our labor is not in vain, is because true joy in our work, which is the premise that we began this whole series with, right? We said finding joy in our life's work. Joy is different than happiness, although the words get conflated and intermingled in our culture. Happiness rides the waves of circumstances. Happiness is present when things are going well. It's absent when things are going badly. Happiness comes with a new job, a new promotion, a new salary, a new opportunity. It disappears with a bad review, a setback, a failure, a loss of job. But joy comes and remains always through the path of sorrow. True joy comes and remains, but always through the path of sorrow. When we are able to say, even my best days, even my best effort is a part of a seed that is going to fall to the ground and die. But I know that that death will lead to life. To be able to say, I can accept this. I can niggle away at something even though I know it will be incomplete. Is the pathway to joy because one day I too will cross the threshold of the new creation and gasp as I see what was in my heart and mind given by God brought to full completion. This is the reason we have hope and expectation and the ability and perseverance to niggle away at something. As our, uh, as our benediction for today, um, I invite the elders to come up uh, with me and join me at the front. Oftentimes, maybe you've experienced this before, we've had, um, like when Lizette was here, and we had international workers, we, we often commission them. And commissioning, our prayer of commissioning is when we affirm and remind that person that they have been sent out by God into the places and spaces where God has called them. And the truth is, every one of us is a sent person. We began this whole work series by saying the the place that God has sent you, spaces and places are places that he has sent you out into to create, to cultivate, to serve. Some of you may have a really strong sense of that. As soon as I say it, you say, yeah, I feel totally called and sent out to where I am. Others might say, I don't know. I've, I feel like where I go is a wasteland for work. Or you've never thought of it as a place that God has actually sent you to. You never realize that actually God goes with you when you leave, and that God isn't just here on Sunday calling you in, but he is calling you in and sending you out over and over. That's what we do. That's why we gather on Sunday. We gather together, and we're sent out again. So what I wanted to do to end this series on work is to have a, a prayer or a blessing or commissioning spoken over every one of us, uh, sending us out into the workplaces that we've done. And so each of the elders is going to pray kind of a prayer of commissioning. So I have you guys just come up here. But we're going to do this in a few parts. And so what I want to begin with, and, and we did this uh, at a prayer night a couple of weeks or a couple of months ago during this series. There are some of you that have been entrusted with a great responsibility in your workplace. You, you, in a sense, you have that sense. And that may be because you're an entrepreneur. Maybe you run your own business. 
And so you have a great responsibility to the people, the business, and everything. Others of you may just have that strong sense. Maybe you're a teacher, an educator. Maybe you're a parent and you say, I have, the, I have this really strong sense of responsibility or calling to these people. Anyone who feels that weight or knows that what you've been given to do is a huge responsibility, maybe in fact you're feeling a little bit weighed down or crushed by that sense of responsibility, would you just stand if that's you? In the name of Christ, our great leader, our Lord, we send you out to bear the great responsibility that God has entrusted to you. May you lead with the wisdom and love of God the Father, the humility and courage of Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. You can remain standing, those of you that stood. There are others of you who are in transition right now. You're, you're in between Maybe you're in between jobs. Maybe you're transitioning roles in your workplace. Maybe you've just started a new job. Um, maybe just circumstances have come up in life that have changed things for you, and now you're feeling the ground shift underneath your feet. If that's you, if you're in transition in some way, would you please stand? For those who are in transition, in the name of Christ, our rock and our foundation, we send you out to stand firm in the midst of transition. May you be reminded of God's faithfulness, his unchanging character, and his sovereign control over all things. May you know Christ as your constant companion and friend, and may the Holy Spirit guide you in the many decisions that you need to be that need to be made in transition. There are some of you that are needing miraculous intervention or provision. Something's got to give, you think, in your workplace. Uh, and maybe some of you are already standing and say, yeah, that's me too. Whatever is prayed over, you just receive that as your commission, your calling. But maybe you're in that place, you say, God, you got to do something. You've got to break in. You've got to do a miracle in, in, the work, in the relationships maybe or in the situation. Maybe you need a job. You need to just miraculous provision. Maybe you need a change. Something has to give, and you know it's nothing short of a miracle that, that needs to happen in that. If that's you, would you just stand? In the name of Christ, our Savior and Healer, we send you out with open hands to receive his miraculous provision. May God, your shield and defender, move mountains on your behalf. May Christ, who fed the hungry, healed the sick, lifted up the lowly, and raised the dead, be merciful to you in your time of need. And may the Holy Spirit bring to mind always that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. And now for the rest of you who are sitting, would you please stand? We are all sent ones. We are all people gathered in by God, given his grace and his love and his forgiveness and his provision, and we are sent out into the world around us. 
as the church, we need to embrace this calling. And every one of us has something that we have been sent out to do and sent with God and with the Holy Spirit. And so let's, at the end of this whole time of reflecting and meditating on our life's work, let's receive this blessing and commissioning together. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, together we step out into the spaces and places, offices, homes, schoolrooms, and shop floors, knowing that we have been sent there by God himself. May we be bold to speak about the good news of Christ and carry out the good works of Christ. May the power and presence and love of God be evident to us in all of our activity at work. May we be willing to follow Jesus in giving up our lives for those around us, knowing that what falls to the ground and dies incomplete, will one day be raised to new life. And may we place no confidence in ourselves, but have full confidence in Christ. Amen.